A very warm welcome to you today. Welcome to our virtual service. Welcome to Lake Road Chapel. Um, today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're reading the first three verses. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter and chapter 2 and we'll read verses 1 to 3. Remember, this is God's word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May God bless this reading of his holy and inerrant word. Peter describes Christians as elect exiles of the dispersion. This is not home we are passing through. We are cultural outsiders, marginal people on the fringe because we follow King Jesus. And because that is true, Peter does not want us to back up, to back off or withdraw from the world around us. But neither does he want us to immerse ourselves in, compromise with and blend in with the world around us. Instead, instead of both of those things, we are to bear costly witness to Jesus Christ in an increasingly hostile context. How should we then live? To bear witness to the power of redeeming grace in the midst of a dark world. Well, we, we have seen two parts of Peter's answer to that question. In chapter 1, 13 to 21, Peter's focus is Godward. Peter points to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding us that God is holy and we are to conduct ourselves in holiness, living before God with fear because he is our father and our judge. There is a Godwardness to it first. And then in verse 22 and following, the focus is more about one another. Peter calls us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Two parts of the question, how should we then live? To please God, to serve him, to bear witness in a dark world. Peter calls us to love God and to love your neighbour, which summarises the whole duty of a Christian. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. So, love for God. That's chapter 1, 13 to 21. And love for one another, chapter 1, 22 to 25. But in chapter 2, 1 to 3, Peter has not yet finished with the second part. The same themes from chapter 1, 22 and following continue into the first three verses of chapter 2. The positive call to brotherly love continues in the negative call in chapter 2 verse 1 to put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy 
and slander. The new birth. You're born again by the living and abiding word. That's chapter 1, verse 23 to 25. But in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we are like newborn infants. So therefore we long for the pure milk of God's word. We are to love one another sincerely, earnestly, from a pure heart. And he has given us practical help to do how to do it. Verse 1 to 3, Peter says two things. If you're going to live for Christ, if you're going to be a witness for Christ, in an increasingly dark and hostile world, you need to put on a new wardrobe. You need to cultivate also an appetite for the right kind of food. So, you need a new wardrobe and you need a new appetite. First of all, the first point, put on a new wardrobe. There was a major search once in a, for a missing tourist at a canyon in the southern volcanic region of Iceland. It was some time ago and this missing tourist had been um, reported missing by the bus driver and she had failed to return uh, with the rest of her group at you know, the appointed time. And the driver waited around for about an hour and when she did not show up, he, he put out, he, he called the alarm, he called, went to the authorities, he put out a call for this missing tourist. The description of this hiker was circulated among the search and rescue teams, amongst the authorities and was dispatched all around in that area. And the call was for a five foot two Asian woman in dark clothing. And the search continued and until three o'clock the next morning when it was called off. Why? She had been found. She was participating in the search. The headcount on the bus had been incorrect. And when the women, woman came back with the rest of her group, she had changed clothes. She had changed her wardrobe, freshened up a bit. And when they read out the description... No one recognised that description, neither did she. So she joined the search trying to find herself. The person no one could find, because she was right there in their midst all along. She had changed her wardrobe. Well, if we're to live for Jesus Christ in dark days, we need a new wardrobe. Verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The verb translated in our versions, put away, is to take off a garment. It is used fairly consistently throughout the New Testament for instructions like this one. You see it in Paul, Romans 13, 13, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. You see it in James 1, 21. You see it in Peter. It is the classic New Testament metaphor for the believer's active combat and engagement. The removal of sinful patterns and habits in their lives. And that is the key here. Peter is calling us to action. Peter is 
not for one moment contemplating that there can be a passive melting away of sin. Making progress in Christian godliness does not happen while you are sleeping. We sometimes hear, don't we, people talk about it this way, just reappropriate again the glory of your justification. See the wonder of the righteousness of Christ reckoned to you. It is so thrilling that your heart will melt with gladness before God and you will not want to sin. That's what people say. Well, there's, there's truth in that for sure, isn't there? If you capture the glory of grace, the freedom, the generosity of God in bestowing such kindness upon us, it, it will incline our hearts to want to please him. But that is not the whole picture. The scriptures call us as Christians to an active, direct engagement with the habit and patterns of sin in our own lives. We have to take decisive steps to kill it, to put it off, to turn from it. We need the expulsive power of a new affection. We need to see the wonder of grace. Our hearts must thrill with gratitude and long to please God. We respond to the cross and the empty tomb, yes, but we also need to take the mallet and the nails in our hands and crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. There is no passivity possible in the pursuit of Christian holiness. Look with me just for a moment at the five vices that Peter says that we must put off. And this instruction comes in the context of a broader exhortation to brotherly love. And these five vices really are designed to describe opposite of love, anti-love, malice, hypocrisy, deceit, envy, slander. The opposite of brotherly love. But I want you to see the organic connections between these different vices. You see, malice is the evil desire to wound someone else. Deceit is the principal weapon malice uses to strike at its target. Hypocrisy is the reaction of a malicious heart when they're caught in sin. The self-righteous instinct to justify self and condemn someone else. And envy is the root of many malicious feelings. Well, we want what others have. We want to be as others are. We want to be what others are. And when we cannot, what do we do? We try and tear them down a peg or two with slander. Slander. Sam Storms in his excellent commentary puts it this way. Slander. Catalalias is most often motivated by the desire for revenge and self-enhancement, often driven by a longing to deflect attention from our own failings. By shining light on someone else through slander, we may be able to deflect attention from our own darkness. That is what we are doing when we spread around other people's supposed faults and failures. Shining alike on their weakness, their mistake, 
their problem because we're completely ignoring and wanting to distract away from the darkness festering away in our own hearts. There is an organic connection between these vices. And when you find one of these weeds growing in your heart, beware, because all of the others thrive in that same fertile soil. When one of these poison fruits grow up in your life, do not be surprised to find the rest right along there with them. If you indulge one of these vices, the others will soon demand your attention. The second thing to see is how honest and straightforward Peter is being with Christians. Just because you've been born again does not mean that you will not struggle with these vices. Peter isn't describing the devil in chapter 2 and verse 1. Peter is describing you and I. Peter is describing followers of Jesus and their besetting sin. Robert Murray McShane was visiting the Docklands in Dundee and was appalled at the depravity and wickedness he saw around him. And as his heart is reacting in judgment, it occurs to him the seeds of every conceivable sin dwelt in my own redeemed heart also. The good news is that if you are a Christian, the reign of sin, the mastery of sin is broken in your life. But the presence of sin, like cancer, carries on in our hearts. When you become a Christian, you are like a freshly mowed lawn. I'd love to see and smell a freshly mowed lawn. The heads of the weeds have been removed. It looks great. But unless you dig out the root, those weeds are coming right back. And that is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying there has been real change and you need to spend the rest of your days rooting out those weeds from your heart. It will take you till you go to be with Jesus to get it done. But that is our task and Peter is very realistic about that. He does not say just because you're a Christian everything is sweetness and light from here on out. No, he says now begins the hard work, the hard heart work of rooting out those vices. There is an organic connection between them and there is a helpful realism about all of this. And uh, thirdly, there is an important reminder in that little word all. In verse 1, he wants us to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It tells us that when it comes to putting away sin, there is no place for moderation. Moderation in all things is terrible advice when it comes to dealing with sin. We can never allow ourselves to rest content with a little progress. That is my great temptation and I'm sure it might be yours also. You make some progress and you feel so proud of yourself that you take a break. And we say in massive error that uh, after all, not all sin is equally serious. So 
I do not need to take all sin equally seriously. Do not worry about the small stuff. Live a little. Do you ever think like that? We've forgotten that every sin, however small, is an offence against the infinite holiness of the triune God. We have forgotten that every sin, however small, required the lifeblood of the Son of God to make atonement for it. And yet here we are indulging it, playing with it, giving it permission to thrive. Hell will be filled with people who said, you know, I was a good chap. I thought the little things didn't matter. Peter is saying, do not rest until all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander is rooted out of your heart. And that will take the rest of your days. It will take you until you're face to face with Jesus. But since Jesus died to atone for your malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, Will you now fail to live every day to put them off? Peter says we need a new wardrobe. We need to take the grave clothes off. Well, you know, when we talked about new birth, new life, we talked about Lazarus. And by the word of God, Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb. And he came forth. He came forth dressed in grave clothes and we are still clothed in grave clothes you are alive but the grave clothes are still hanging to us and we need to put them off the remnants of your old life put them off take decisive action we need a new wardrobe secondly we need a new wardrobe. Secondly, we need a new appetite. Pursue a new appetite. Look at verses 2 and 3, please. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Notice how he speaks about us first. We are like newborn infants. He does not mean here that his readers are immature in the faith. That is not the point that he is making. Peter is not saying that if you've been walking with Jesus for about 40 years, you can switch off now. That is not the point. Peter is actually saying that every single believer is like a newborn infant. Because the means by which you grow is that for which you must long. The way of growth is by the pure spiritual milk that he mentions to us in verse 2. Growth happens by drinking the pure spiritual milk. Look at that phrase for a moment, pure spiritual milk. That is the nourishment that is necessary for you to grow. And it's an important phrase worth breaking down a little bit. First of all, Peter says that the milk is pure. I don't like to use Greek very often, but sometimes hearing it helps you see what Peter is doing. 
that does not come out in our English translations. So the word for pure is the Greek word adalon. Adalon is the opposite of dolon, which is the word he used for deceit in verse 1. So Peter is saying, I want you to put off deceit and by extension all the malice and envy and hypocrisy and the slander. And Peter is, said, is saying, instead, I want you to drink in the true, sincere, reliable, real milk, this spiritual milk. So by drinking it, you might become true and real and sincere and reliable and authentic. The quality of the milk produces that character in us. And that is what Peter is saying. The fullness of salvation into which we grow up. A holy life that pleases God. Helps us to love one another that puts us off the vices of anti-love. And such a life grows as we drink this pure, sincere, spiritual milk. And notice the other adjective that Peter uses to describe the milk that we need. It is spiritual. It is pure spiritual milk. And this time the Greek word is logikon, which is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 verse 1, when he invites us to offer our bodies living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God. This is your logikon, your spiritual worship. But Peter is using it here to certainly mean spiritual, but here it is a play on words. You see, how is it that you were born again? Verse 23, you were born again by the living and abiding word of God, the logos of God. The word, the logos of God gave you life. How are you going to grow now that you are alive? By the pure logicon milk, the milk that is the word of God. And that is what Peter is saying. The spiritual milk is the word of God. You need to drink it in. There's an interesting parallel passage in James 1 verse 21 that uses almost the same vocabulary that Peter uses here. James 1 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. You notice the language, instead of saying long for the pure spiritual milk, James is saying receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The pure milk from Peter is the implanted word from James. You put it off, you put off sin, you drink in the word. That is how you will grow. Why do my besetting sins sometimes seem so very strong? And why is my appetite for spiritual things, for worship and the fellowship of the saints and the praises of God and the preaching of the word weak? The place to start is neglect of the word of God, the living and abiding word of God by which God caused you to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the same word that will cause growth, that will help you, nourish you and bring you to maturity. It seems so 
elementary, but I have found it a principle in my own Christian life that when I fail to be consistent in reading the scriptures, vice seems stronger, grace seems weaker. But when I persist in reading the scriptures, the opposite is true. And having immersed myself in God's word, I'm better equipped and able to live for him in, in other areas of my life. How are you going to grow? By being in the word, by drinking in the word. Open the book. Dig your nose in the book. Find a system that helps you to be a man or a woman of the word, of the book. You could read six chapters during the week and five chapters on Sunday and that probably gets you through the Bible in a year. There are systems that will get you through scripture in a systematic fashion in a year or even two years that will help you or go deeper. Read larger chunks. You're like a newborn infant. You will not grow unless you get milk. I find a million other things to do whenever I think about reading the word of God. So how do I awaken a longing for the pure milk of the word? Well, that is a really good question and I'm so glad you asked. It is interesting. You see this in verse 2 that Peter commands longing, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow into salvation by it. It is a command. It is an imperative. You must long. But longing is my whole problem. If I longed for the word, I would read it. My problem is I do not long for it. So how do I awaken a longing for the word? How do I obey Peter's command? And I think verse 3 gives us a clue. Look at verse 3. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word translated here, if, might be translated since. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, long for the word. The way to awaken your appetite for more is to taste. A taste will awaken your appetite for more. And you know that to be true. It may be dinner time and a loved one, your wife, your husband or a child or a friend. Someone has prepared a meal for you, gone to great lengths to prepare a meal for you. And you just do not want to sit down and say, I just cannot face it. But you do not have any appetite until that first bite. And before you know it, you have cleaned the plate. What has happened? A taste awakened appetite. And Peter here is referencing Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Peter is saying something remarkable. I want you to do more than just to taste the data, the information on the pages of scripture. When you drink in the word, you're drinking in the goodness of the Lord. What is it you get in the word? You get the Lord himself in the word. He comes to you in the word. You get Christ in the word. It is an extraordinary thing. You're holding in your hands the means by which you may have fellowship with Christ. 
who is seated at the right hand of God. Anyone who has tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ to the salvation of their soul will long for more. The more you have of Jesus, the more you long for him. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labour for that which does not satisfy. You've been running every which way looking for nourishment. And it has been junk food whereby the pure spiritual milk of the word by which you will grow brings Christ to you. And maybe that has been gathering dust on your shelf all along. So we do need a new wardrobe, don't we? We need a new wardrobe. Now that we've come to life like Lazarus from the tomb, we need to take off the grave clothes. Put away the remnants of the old life. So we need a new wardrobe. And we need a new appetite for a new diet. And you can awaken it by tasting the goodness of Jesus Christ. Who comes to you himself in the Holy Scriptures. Drink him in. Drink him in by faith in his word. And put away all that remains of the old life and live for God's glory in a dark world. Well, may the Lord bless the word. May the Lord bless the ministry of his word for his glory and for our eternal good. May the Lord bless you. Amen.